just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Friday. It's been kind of a busy week. A lot of things happening. Just going to give you a heads up before we get too deep into the podcast. If you hear rumbling in the background, that's not my stomach. That's not something in my home. It's a storm going outside. Just before I started, there was a big crash of thunder. So it's likely it's going to happen again at some point in the podcast, maybe multiple times. Don't be alarmed. It's just a storm. We're all fine. Um, So today, on Friday, Elon Musk is supposed to be firing 75% of his staff at Twitter, which is interesting. I think I think that Elon Musk got in a little over his head. Yeah, I know you think he's the smartest man in the world and he's the richest man in the world. But I think he was playing some games with the situation with Twitter. I don't think he really wanted to own it, but he got stuck having to buy it. Now he doesn't know really what to do. He's kind of throwing shit against the wall, hoping against hope he'll hit on something. I mean, ultimately, he may make it successful, but some of the things he's currently doing are pushing people away. I mean, this whole thing about charging people eight bucks a month to have a blue check, this verification check. Some people have asked me why I don't have one on TikTok. And frankly, I don't know what good it does, why it's important, why it's a big deal. I don't need a blue check. I mean, I know who I am. I don't have to verify that. If they don't know who I am, I don't fucking care. You know who I am. I mean, it's not like there's somebody else trying to imitate me. There have been people who tried to kind of clone my account on TikTok. It never went very well. Always got caught. Uh, Thanks to you folks who bring it to my attention, and then we shut it down. But uh, he's going to fire literally thousands of people from Twitter. And this is going to cause a bit of an uproar. I mean, Elon Musk isn't making many friends as it is. This is not going to help. We're seeing and hearing about things showing up on Twitter that didn't used to show up on Twitter. I'm hearing that they're even seeing the N-word out there and all of that. I don't know what to think. I'm not a big Twitter fan. I've posted some crazy conspiracy things against the Republicans. It's got a little bit of traction, but not enough to make it worthwhile. And of course, Elon and his, whatever his staff has left, hasn't uh, banned me as yet. But I got my fingers crossed. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying and try to get banned from Twitter. I don't want to be banned from TikTok or Facebook or even Instagram. um, But no matter who bans me, at least I still have the podcast. And this is really the most important thing to me. As long as the podcast is going, I'm cool. Now, it's going to be interesting today, too. A lot of things happen on Fridays. People will announce things and uh, going into the weekend. I'm not sure why they do that, uh, but they do. (laughs) And we'll see what happens because it's bound to get crazier and crazier as we get closer to the midterms. And as I've told you before, once we get past the midterms, shit is going to fly because there's nothing holding anybody back. I wanted to tell you a quick little story, only because I thought it was cool. You may not think it's cool, but it's my fucking show. So I'm going to tell you. You remember when I was out in Las Vegas and I had those two nice women who recognized me from TikTok? That was way cooler for me than it was for them, I'm sure. I thought that was pretty exciting. I thought that was pretty cool. Not so much for my ego, but it's nice that after doing what I'm doing, I run into somebody who actually saw what I do and actually appreciate it. Now, with the podcast, I get that get that uh, immediate reaction from from emails and that sort of thing. But TikTok was different. There's a million people on TikTok, and there's a lot of people with more followers than I got. So I thought it was pretty cool. 
But I had another experience while sitting here in my living room, pretty much sitting right where I am now. I told you before that I have type 2 diabetes, and uh, it's pretty well under control. I don't really have any problems with it. I go to the doctor. I take some medicine. I'm dropping weight. You know, I'm doing all the things you need to do. And I got a call one time from this woman who was with a group, and she says, you know, if you want, uh, you and I can talk on the phone from time to time, and uh, I'll give you some coaching on how to deal with type 2 diabetes and uh, everything else you got going on in your life. It's free of charge, so you might as well do it. And to be honest with you, in most cases, I wouldn't accept that because I don't need that kind of help. I talk to my doctor when I talk to my doctor, and that's fine. But I thought, you know, this seems like a nice young woman uh, since since uh, insurance is paying for it. Uh, and if she wants to talk to me and maybe at least make me accountable for those things I plan to do, well, maybe that will help. So she's called me a couple times, and each time they call, it's kind of interesting. I think I, uh, I certainly know I surprised them, but I, I think I put her in a situation where she doesn't know what to do because she always asks questions like, well, how you doing? How you dealing with the pressures of diabetes, type 2 diabetes? I go, you know, it's really not a thing. I know what I got to do, and I don't worry about it. Oh, that's great. Do you have any questions about your diet? I said, well, no, not really. I mean, I've got to eat better. I'm 62. I know that I have type 2 diabetes, and I know that if if I just lost enough weight, I may not have type 2 diabetes, so it's kind of on me. Well, and she says, well, that's that's a good attitude. So, do you feel safe at home? <laughs> And I said, ma'am, I feel, I feel safe pretty much anywhere I go. I'm, I don't feel any pressure like that. She says, do you ever feel depressed? And I go, no, I never feel depressed, ever, ever feel depressed. I might be anxious about one thing or another for a short period of time, but then it's gone, it's done, I move on. She says, wow, you're doing pretty well. I said, well, you know, I try. I have a good attitude about things. And she said, are you still working? I said, yeah, I am still working. She said, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I do about four or five TikToks a day, and I do a podcast every night. And she looks at me, this 62-year-old man, or she's seeing me in her mind's eye because we're on the phone, and she says, uh, well, that's nice. That must be fun for you. And I said, yeah, yeah, I enjoy it a lot. And she says, uh, so you're on TikTok? I said, yeah, I'm on TikTok. She says, how long? I said, a couple of years. And she says, uh, uh, you getting a few followers? I said, yeah, I got a few followers. I got uh, like 190,000. And she said, what? I said, yeah, I got about 190,000 followers. I have a podcast. I have a lot of listeners on the podcast. She goes, wow, really? I said, yeah. And she said, what do you talk about? I said, uh, I talk about a lot of things that a lot of people want to talk about, about the bullshit in this country and the Trump humpers and all this sort of thing. And, you know, I explain about politics and, 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 and current news and that sort of thing. And I, I explain, I said, look, I'm a baby boomer. I look like a Trump humper, but I'm not. So that's kind of the niche I have here on TikTok. She says, wow, you sounds like you're doing really good for, with it. Um. So you talk a lot about politics. I said, I do. I do. And, you know, since I'm a boomer, and I think most people think boomers are crazy and Trump humpers, I went with the name Rational Boomer. And she said, what? I said, yeah, the TikToks I do are Rational Boomer. Now, this woman's like late 20s, early 30s. She goes, Rational Boomer. I said, yeah. Yeah, you know, it just seemed like the uh, the thing. I just pulled that out of my ass, and I, I started using it, and it caught some traction, and I'm sticking with it. She goes, oh, my God. I go, what? She says, this is crazy. I go, what's crazy? And she says, my husband and I watch your stuff every day. <laughs> I said, wow. 
Now that's a compliment. I'm 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 excited about that. You know, you're a younger woman. We don't know each other. I don't even know what state you're in, but you listen. That's great. And then she starts getting kind of giddy about it, and and, I, and she says, "It's so exciting. I get to talk to you." And I said, "Ma'am, honestly, I'm just a guy that happens to talk a lot and." goes on TikTok in a podcast. There's really not much different than me from your dad or anybody else. It's it's not a big deal in that sense. I appreciate you recognizing. She's just, I just can't wait to get home and tell my husband. I go, you know, the, those are the greatest compliments I can get. The fact that I have some impact on some people, that's, that's the biggest reward from doing this sort of thing. And she says, uh, and now she's kind of upbeat and saying, well, you, make sure you do this and make sure you do this. I said, I said, ma'am, here's all you got to do. If you want to see how I'm doing, <laughs> just keep watching the TikToks for Christ's sake. You'll be able to see if my color's good or if I'm slurring my words or whatever. That'll keep you in line with what's happening. So I'm going to talk to her every month and it'll be interesting to see how these conversation goes. But for me, it was kind of cool. I'm one of those guys who went into business, and what I really like about going into business, and I see this, TikToks and podcasts, as kind of starting a business, a startup from zero, and that's always the interesting thing for me, and I've done it a couple times in business, where you start out with zero, not a ton of money, not a real idea, and no real help with it. You just do it, you create it, and you consistently push it and try and keep working at it. And eventually you can be successful at it. Now, I'll grant you, I'm not making a million dollars off being TikTok or doing the podcast, but that doesn't matter to me. The success is having an impact on people. And uh, I feel like I'm starting to do that in a bigger way. And that's fantastic. All right. Enough of my self-aggrandizing. <laughs> I just thought it was a cool story. I, I never expected that. And uh, it is good for my ego. I'll just be honest with you. It's good for my ego. Anyway, we've got a bunch of emails, so let's get to those and see what the folks out there have to say. First one, who does this come from? This has come from Brent Brenton in Michigan. Now, he's written a lot. I, I like his emails. It says, Morning, Mike. I just finished listening to both your new podcast. You and your various guests the past few weeks have given out great and relevant information. Despite that, here in Michigan, local television interviewed my generation. I'm 37 years old, and I work as an engineer in one of the largest automotive companies in the world. I vote Democratic, and I volunteer at the local election office for early voting. You can't even imagine what I hear from my local community while they wait to cast their ballots. It is mind-blowing. He goes on to say, anyway, the local news had a roundtable on undecided voters. First, they interviewed a local guy who's unemployed and collects unemployment. Why is he undecided? Well, between our two candidates for governor, he claims he hasn't received enough information on the two candidates. Gretchen Whitmer, our current Democratic governor, has done a stellar job for Michigan. 2022 Forbes ranked Michigan as the top economies in the nation based on many factors. She did this while a terrorist group planned to kidnap and kill her. Despite the threat, she had done a wonderful job. The opponent has run on anti-abortion and fixing roads. She has no platform. She spews the same GOP talking points every GOP candidate does. Despite just those known facts, this guy claims to be undecided. Give me a break. Mike, a week away from the elections, how can anyone claim to be undecided? How can anyone claim to be middle of the road? GOP candidates and leadership are dead set on driving the economy into the ground. Jim Jordan has given indication he intends to have a hearing if they take over the House on a number of baseless claims. They are the same folks who want to bankroll their rich friends and stick it to the working class poor, but somehow people are undecided. It just seems seems hard to believe. Love your show, and I would love to join your podcast one day. Take on everything as always spot on. Thank you, Boomer. Brenton from Michigan. And you know what? I, I was so taken by this email. I did a TikTok about it, and he's dead on here. 
the two parties can't be more polar opposite. I mean, in the past, sometimes people would say, yeah, the Democrats and the Republicans are interchangeable. They just have different takes on things, but they basically do the same thing, which is nothing. And for many years, that was the case. But today, you really can't say that. I mean, if you're going to vote Republican, you have to support uh, racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, overturning elections, overthrowing democracy, fascism. If you're voting Republican, that's what you got to be voting for. If you're voting Democrat, if you're voting Democrat, you're voting for preserving democracy, giving back to the middle class, the people that carry this country on their back, doing things for people, actually accomplishing things in government. He's absolutely right. How can you be middle of the road? I'm not saying you can't make a choice either way, but you can't be middle of the road. You can't say, well, I'm kind of leaning Democrats, but I really like the Republicans. Really? You're going to go from what the Democrats are doing to white supremacy? Really? That's the thing you're going to do? And this is a question I've asked all along from those normal-minded Republicans who are still voting Republican. Your party has been co-opted by fascists, treasonists, insurrectionists. And while you've always voted Republican, can you really stand with those ideologies? Can you really? I mean, just because dad and grandpa and great-grandpa voted Republican, they were voting for vastly different Republican parties. The Republican Party doesn't resemble anything we've ever seen in its history. It's run amok. They're going rogue. And you still want to attach yourself to that. It's more abhorrent to you to vote Democrat to help people and preserve this country than it is to go with white supremacists, treasonists, insurrectionists. I don't get it. And I think Breton from Michigan makes a good point here. That's a question some of these people have to ask. Now, One of the things he pointed out, and one of the things I want to get to, is that this gentleman that he was talking about said he hadn't seen enough about the governors, or governor and the governor candidate. Well, motherfucker, if that's the case, you aren't doing your job. You're sitting on your ass waiting for uh, mainstream media to spoon-feed you information, and you can't do that because they don't give you all the information. They don't always give you accurate information. If you're a serious voter, you've got to do your due diligence, look into it, and try to corroborate some of these claims and some of these uh, policies and planks in their platforms. If you don't do that, well, then you're ill-informed and you're not worth anything to anybody as a voter. These are serious times. Our country's in serious trouble, and you need to make the fucking effort. I'm not saying you have to work 40 hours a week for the next year. Take about an hour and do some investigation, because that's all it'll take. There's so much difference between the Republican and the Democratic Party, it shouldn't be hard for you to figure this out. So, Brenton, good point. Point well taken. And I'm just hoping against hope that we do get some of these people doing the job they're supposed to be doing. You're citizens in this country. It's your duty to vote. And it's your duty to vote with the right information before you make that decision. You need to make an informed decision. So you got to find that fucking information. All right. This next one comes from a lady by the name of Lona. I think I pronounced that right, Ilona, and uh, she's written a number of times. She says, hi, Mike. My husband knows I'm obsessed with listening to your podcast. I, I, I'm, I'm flattered and I'm honored that you feel that way. I listen most mornings and he often overhears what you're saying. I also share things I've learned from you with him. From what you've said on the podcast, I assured him that Trump can't run again after he's indicted. And then there was, she gave me a, um, gave me a a link. I'm not going to read the link. Um, 
She says, I looked into the Pointer Institute and saw that Charles Koch Institute is a funder. Well, that explains it. Now I know the Pointer Institute is not a trustworthy news source. I have asked you, dear Mike, how do you know Diaper Donnie is prohibited from running if he's indicted? I'd like to prove my husband wrong. It's my job. Yes, it is. I have a wife, and she does her job with me every day. She says, thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, here's the thing, Alona. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but the facts suggest that he's not going to run. There's a lot of things to consider. First of all, I don't know that all indictments preclude him from running in 2024, but there is one potential and likely indictment, and that is the Presidential Records Act. This is where somebody who is uh, mishandled or taken top-secret documents. Sound familiar? We know he did that. We have proof that he did that. Now, there's other aspects of that, the Espionage Act and some other things that are more serious. But that one act, the Presidential Records Act, there are three punishments in that. Number one, it's about a $100,000 fine. Number two, maybe up to a year in jail. Uh, Number three, he can never run for office again. So while he hasn't been indicted, that's not in place where he's in a position where he can't run as yet. But he's likely going to be indicted at the very least for that. I think the DOJ has uh, their mind set on making sure he'll never run again, as well as punishing him for his many other crimes. Secondly, it's his health. By the time 2024 comes along, Donald Trump will be 78 years old. Now, I know Joe Biden was 78 when he ran in 2020, but Donald Trump is a vastly different guy. He's not a healthy guy. He's not healthy cognitively or physically. He's overweight. He's not in good shape. He eats Big Macs every day. Two years is a long time for somebody of that age. And I think there's a distinct possibility that he won't be physically able to run. So that's two things. The third thing is you have to understand when these midterms are over and Donald Trump's endorsees don't win, Donald Trump all of a sudden becomes a liability, not an asset to the Republican Party. Their favorite son will no longer be their favorite because he's not He's not the golden goose bringing the votes and the money anymore. Throw in the investigations and the exposing of his crimes. Donald Trump will not be somebody you want to hang your hat on in two years. So I honestly believe that uh, Donald Trump will not be the Republican's choice for candidate. By that time, they will want to separate themselves as much as they possibly can from Donald Trump. And the last thing I want to tell you, this seems to be the greatest fear for people. Will Donald Trump run again? Oh my God, what happens if he runs again? I want to point out something to you. In my mind, if Donald Trump ran in 2024, that would be awesome news. In 2020, he lost by 7 million votes. In that time, he's been exposed for tons and tons of crimes. And he's going to be indicted, and he's going to have all kinds of problems. And if he still can legally run for the presidency in 2024, great. That'll just give the Democrats an easier chance of winning the presidency in 2024. Donald Trump doesn't worry me anymore. His power is diminishing every day. He doesn't have the control and the power that he once had. So don't worry about this shit. I guarantee you there's too many things working against Donald Trump to run for president again. Not to mention the fact that when he gets to 2024 and he sees where he stands in the polls, Uh, he's going to see that he's got a good chance of losing. And the last thing Donald Trump wants to do is get involved in something where he's guaranteed to lose. That would crush his little narcissistic personality. So 
Uh, I can't say for sure he's not going to run now, but all the facts suggest he can't, won't, or will be precluded because of legal reasons. One of those three or four things are going to happen, and uh, there's no chance he's going to run. All right, we have another email. This one comes from V. And she says, hi, Mike, I want to commend you on continuing to say that the Republicans will not win the midterms. The mainstream media has been gloom and doom for the Democrats. Like you said, all they care about is ratings. Last week, my husband had on CNN and it was Jake Tapper saying the Republicans are poised to gain as much as 30 seats in the House. I just walked away so not to listen to that crap. The polls that have the Democrats losing don't help the morale. These polls are skewed toward Republicans. It come, it's come out now that Republicans have spent tons of money to flood the zone, as they call it. Flood us with the inaccurate data, which is targeted to discourage people from voting and making us believe our vote won't matter. I think there is an ulterior motive for these polls that have the Republicans winning, and that, in my opinion, is to claim voter fraud. When things don't go their way yet... When, when things don't go their way yet, early voter turnout is crushing it. And I'm happy to say that's the case in my state, which is one of the battleground states. While Democrats are encouraging voters and focusing on issues, Republicans just keep complaining, crying voter fraud, promoting lies, and owning the libs. And that is why I finally believe, as you believe, that we won't lose the House or the Senate. Hopefully, we won't be wrong. Another thing, I want to say I'm disgusted by the Republicans' behavior toward what happened to Paul Pelosi. Did you see that Don Jr. posted? Yeah, I saw that. He posted a picture of his underwear with a hammer on it, and he says, I got my Paul Pelosi costume ready for Halloween. Very funny, crackhead. He had a picture of an underwear and a hammer, as he said. It's a Halloween costume. Yeah, Donnie's, Donnie Jr., uh, is a very funny guy. How about the Larry Elder who ran to unseat Gavin Newsom? He took a shot at Pelosi, saying something to the effect of being hammered twice. This disgusting rhetoric is not from just ordinary people, but higher-ups in the cruel and sick party. Years ago, when Steve Scalise was shot, Nancy Pelosi stood up and said, we are not Democrats or Republicans, but we are Americans. Now, why can't these vile people do the same? and condemn this violent act. Instead, they're making up conspiracy theories and lies. I'm so sick of their theatrics. I hope we crush them in the midterms so they can go away. Thanks, V. Well, V, I think you made some excellent points there. You made better points than I could have made. And you're absolutely right about the polls. You want an illustration where polls don't work? 2016, the polls said Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump, and what happened? Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a ploy. This is a desperate attempt, but it's the only attempt they have left. Uh, the Republicans, I mean, is to try to discourage Democratic voters and say, well, I just won't vote anymore. That's not going to happen. I was watching an interview um, with Michael Moore you know, the documentary maker. Um, and I've not always liked him, but uh, I was interested to see that he was of the same mindset that I was. Um, he was asked, are you worried about what's going to happen to the democracy uh, if the Republicans take over? He says, I'm not worried because they're not going to take over. There's no way it's going to happen. Now, you'll remember, he also predicted Donald Trump would win the presidency in 2016. He also predicted he wouldn't win in 2020. I'm not saying Michael Moore is some great sage, but he's been on track, and he understands the same thing I understand. You can go with the rhetoric, the bullshit, but you can also look at the facts, and the facts tell us a different story. And since Republicans are so averse to, to facts and truth, I don't listen to anything they say. All right, uh, we've got um, one more email. 
Hi, Mike. I follow you on TikTok, and a gentleman who researched polls came to an interesting conclusion about some polls that struck a chord with me. First of all, I don't like polls, and I think they're very inaccurate. He showed that these polls were showing Dems ahead, especially after Roe was overturned. All of a sudden now, the polls show the Republicans within 1%. He said the same thing I said, no way. He believes the same as I do. The polls were created by Republicans to make Dems feel hopeless and not vote. Same thing Vi said, same thing I've said. And you're right on track. I've been voting since Nixon, and I've never trusted these people. And right now, with them being so desperate, I think this is a tactic they would resort to. I live in Nebraska, a dirty red state with a governor that thinks he's Trump piece of shit. Sorry for the bad English. No problem. I was a C student in school, Joe. And you're absolutely right. Um, It's just all a game. I mean, everything the Republicans have done up to this point has been a game, a strategy, a way to own the libs. But Michael Moore made a good point, and I made this point a while back, too. This thing with overturning Roe v. Wade, um, it came out before the midterms, but it came out a couple, three months before the midterms. So now I think that some of the Republicans and the Democrats think, oh, this whole thing blown over. These women were mad at first, but they've forgotten about it. They're more worried about high gas or inflation. (laughs) And that's fucking crazy. The Republicans don't want you to know this, but I know from being married for 39 years, having sisters and nieces and sisters-in-law, women don't forget shit, especially when you try to take away a constitutional right from them. We're seeing big voter turnout in the uh, early voting and the absentee voting. We're seeing comparable to the 2020 election and above the 2018 midterms. A big turnout is a positive for the Democrats. Why isn't any of these polls talking about that? Why aren't any of these polls talking about the likelihood that a lot of young people are going to come out and vote that never voted before? Well, because that doesn't that doesn't um, promote a good show. I said this on a TikTok. You have to look at these media people. They're like fight promoters. They got to make it look like the battle of the titans. They got to add some intrigue and some urgency. Otherwise, nobody will watch. If all the media came out and said, oh, the Democrats are going to destroy these motherfuckers, nobody would watch or not enough people would watch. Now, when it happens and we get the TV running this, they'll continue to try to make it look close as long as they can until it breaks away and then they will start uh, championing the Democrats. It's all a big game, and that's the unfortunate thing. We can't watch television. We can't watch the news and trust anything we see. We just can't do it. So all of you folks make some great points. And honestly, when it's all said and done, we could be wrong. But I just don't think I am. The facts don't suggest that. But if we are wrong, I want you to understand the world isn't going to implode the next day. All we have to do is step back, take a look, and say, okay, we were wrong, no big deal. Now what do we do? And start right back in it. But as I've said... The destruction of the Republican Party is going to come after the midterms, no matter what the outcome of the elections. That's when the indictments and that's when the problems and the sitting members of Congress are going to be exposed. So the Republicans are not going to come out of this unscathed. There's just no way that's going to happen. So thank you all for the emails. We're going to take a quick break and we'll get to some of the news that's happening currently. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You know, there's another thing that kind of weakens the Republicans as we get closer to these midterms. 
And people don't really talk about it, but it's a thing. There's no question about it. And that's how this party has split. Of course, we have the base and the crazy fucks that believe the conspiracy theories and such. But we have some normal-minded people, relatively normal-minded people in the Republican Party. And it's one thing to side with Donald Trump in 2020 and fight the good fight. But everything that's been exposed, there's going to be people that say, you know, I just, I just can't be a part of that because it's criminal. It's anti-American. It's anti-democratic. And they just won't stand with it. So we have a split in the Republican Party. And anytime you split a party, it weakens that party. And if you question what I'm saying, listen to this story. Donald Trump, twice impeached, former president, demanded Thursday that the Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, the true leader of the Republican Party, suffer the same fate if he plays ball with the Democrats on the debt ceiling. So what Donald Trump is saying is that uh, if Mitch McConnell caves in because it's assuming the Republicans get control of the House and they want to crash the debt ceiling, if Mitch McConnell doesn't allow that to happen, well, then he should be impeached. (laughs) Trump, speaking to conservative radio host John Federicks about the idea, suggested Democrats must have something on McConnell. But did he not specify... He did not specify what he meant because he, he, he's just spewing rhetoric. He doesn't, he pulls shit out of his ass. He says whatever comes out of his mouth. He goes on to say, it's crazy what's happening with this debt ceiling. Mitch McConnell keeps allowing them to have it, Trump said. I mean, they ought to impeach Mitch McConnell if he allows that. They, frankly, Mitch McConnell, something has to be, they have something on him. How he approves this thing is incredible. There's some constitutional debate as to whether a member of Congress can be impeached. See, that's the thing. I don't know if they can. They can be expelled, like some of the sitting members of Congress will be expelled after it's exposed that they were part of the coup attempt. But the idea of impeaching someone in Congress is largely a semantic argument. They can be removed with a two-thirds majority vote. That's what I'm talking about is the expulsion. Um, and apparently Trump is backing off from the impeachment and says, yeah, all all the Republicans should get rid of Mitch McConnell, kick him out of the the Senate. Now, the ex-president remarks come as the U.S. Treasury nears its mandated $31.4 trillion borrowing limit. Democrats are eager to find a way to raise the cap to avoid disturbing financial markets and damaging the country's credit rating. However, some GOP leaders are threatening to use the issue as a bargaining chip, saying they'll only work with Democrats on raising the ceiling if they cut spending to various Biden administration programs, including climate change mitigation and social support programs. Hey, how about you cut the $2 trillion you're giving to rich people? That would save some money. That's despite their support for raising the ceiling under Donald Trump, who in 2017 said the debt ceiling complicates things and is really not necessary. You see, it's not about what's good for the country. It's about owning the libs. This whole debt ceiling thing is a bunch of shit anyway. Most countries who used to have it don't have it anymore. I mean, what are you going to do besides uh, raise the debt ceiling? Now, the reason we're at this debt ceiling we're currently in has a lot to do with Donald Trump and the Republicans adding to the debt to to the point of $7 trillion. Now, with the GOP posing a serious threat to Democrats' control of Congress during next week's midterm elections, some Democrats have called for the party to plan on holding a lame duck session after the election to vote on raising or even eliminating the debt ceiling. McConnell has declined to comment on the issue ahead of the midterms. Trump also said during the radio interview that uh, that he regrets ever endorsing McConnell and promised that if he's ever president again, not going to happen, he'll block him from being a majority leader. Instead, Trump said Rick Scott should get the job. Yeah, Rick Scott with an 11-point plan of taking away Medicare and Social Security. Didn't Donald Trump say he was working for the people? Well, now it sounds like he's working against the people. 
Rick is a hard worker. He should be able to beat him, he said, cementing his icy relations with uh, Senator McConnell. (laughs) That's hilarious. First of all, these guys in the Republican Party are a little too presumptuous. They say, when we get power, well, what makes you so sure you're going to get power? I disagree. And I got to tell you, as soon as it's over, and I think uh, one of my emailers said this, as soon as they get their ass whooped on November 8th, you're absolutely right. They're going to start screaming that it's faked election. It'll go to court. But it really won't make much difference. It's a much different situation with a presidential election than it is these individual state elections. They can try to muck it up, but it's not really going to work. It's not going to be the same thing as it was with with Trump. And, you know, frankly, other than the attempted coup, the Republicans really did nothing to slow it down much. They went to court and they lost and they went to court and they lost. But once they get the beat soundly in several markets and several uh, campaigns, uh, it's going to be hard to fight all of those things. They're going to have to pick one or two to win, but it's not about an electoral college. It's not like if I go to Arizona and prove that they're wrong, then they can take away the electoral votes. There are no electoral votes in these elections. These are senators and congressmen and governors and secretaries of state. It won't work the same way. They won't have as much power, and uh, it won't happen. They'll try. They'll try, but it'll be a sad little pitiful attempt like pretty much everything else the Republicans and Donald Trump have fucking done. Now, if Mitch McConnell winds up failing to regain control of the Senate next week, it may not be because of Pennsylvania or Arizona or Georgia, the swing states that everybody's worried about. Uh, But because of people like mad-as-hell retired game warden in the purple Utah Jazz t-shirt a few miles up the interstate from Salt Lake City. Now, this this gentleman said, it's time to get rid of Mike Lee, the 68-year-old said, asking that his name not be used as he slid his ballot into the drop box outside the small white brick Davis County Branch Library. I'm a staunch Republican but I'm sick of him. And it's what I've said before. There are Republicans out there that are tired of the bullshit, tired of the constant drama, and tired of nothing getting done. We don't need all the Republicans to realize this, and we don't need all the Republicans to vote Democratic. We only need a percentage, and I believe that percentage is there. Now, As the Senate minority leader and his allies focused on a half a dozen states around the country with open seats or vulnerable Democrats, they largely ignored one of the most reliable conservative states in the nation, Utah. But one one where a culture of rule following appears to have taken offense with the two-term incumbent's attempt to help former President Donald Trump. Now, in a recent survey by Republican pollster David Hill on behalf of the anti-Lee campaign, uh, put Utah first pack found that 40 46% of Republican voters said Lee's work on Trump's fake elector scheme made them more likely to vote against him. 46%, not of all voters, of Republican voters. Well, that spells trouble for Mike Lee. That distaste over the fake electors layered atop a more general critique that Lee has accomplished little in his 12 years in office, has presented an opening for former Republican Evan McMullen to join the Senate as an independent, where he could, well, hold the key vote on both legislations, as well as control of the chamber itself. It's really the first time that, how do you say this, Utahns have been engaged in a U.S. Senate race in a real way. Mike Lee has been exposed for a lot of things he's fucking saying, and he's in trouble. He's a lot like Grassley in uh, in Iowa. He's a lot like Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. A lot of these people are in trouble. 
Now, if the independent beats Mike Lee, that doesn't necessarily mean great things for um, the Democrats. It could go either way with an independent. However, it does get a piece of shit out of the Senate. All right, we've got to, you've kind of been hearing bits and pieces about this. This is a big story, but you don't hear about it as much because of all the other shit that's going on. Um, but you know about this seditious conspiracy trial with the Oath Keepers. Um, and it, of course, involves their founder, Elmer Stewart Rhodes. Now, federal prosecutors rested their case against the Oath Keeper founder, Stewart Rhodes, and four other members of the far-right organization on Wednesday without calling the three cooperating defendants who pleaded guilty already to seditious conspiracy. They pled guilty, they pled out, and presumably they were going to be available to testify against these other five. Well, they didn't use that. Now, opening arguments in the trial began on October 3rd, and over the five weeks of testimony, you heard from two Oath Keepers, Jason Dolan and Graydon Young, who pled guilty in connection with the January 6th attack. Dolan testified that he hoped to scare members of Congress and that he was part of a group that would be willing to fight to keep former President Donald Trump in office. Young testifies that he was acting like a traitor. He admitted this about himself. And he thought he was part of an event similar to the 1718 or 1789 storming of the Bastille in, in the French Revolution. Really, motherfucker? You mean to tell me you read a book, you know about the uh, storming of the Bastille in the French Revolution? I find that hard to believe. I think your lawyer told you that. But as I said... The government, the DOJ, did not call three members that have already pled guilty to seditious conspiracy. But the fact that they they, they did plead guilty to cons, con, uh, seditious conspiracy, that spells trouble for the five that are on trial. Because if these folks were guilty of seditious conspiracy, well, they have to have somebody to conspire with. And since these were their close compatriots, it only makes sense. They're just as guilty. So Rhodes, along with Kelly Meggs, Kenneth Harrelson, Jessica Watson, and Thomas Caldwell, they're on trial in connection with the alleged criminal conspiracy that the government says involved the Oath Keepers. Um... They had these guys going out in the stack formation, stockpiling weapons for a quick reaction force. I know when I talked to a Trump LaFuck, he said there were no guns there. Well, there were guns there. And there was a stockpile of guns away from the Capitol that they would go get for a second run at the Capitol. He said, I haven't heard that. Well, no, of course you haven't heard that because you watch Fox fucking news. The government's case featured a lot of direct evidence of discussion about the plans to use a force to oppose the transition of power, but not a lot of explicit evidence that the Oath Keepers planned ahead of time to storm the U.S. Capitol. Young testified that there was an implicit agreement to storm the U.S. Capitol when the opportunity presented itself. So they knew exactly what they were doing when they were headed in there. Apparently, the prosecutors decided that uh, presenting the three defendants who pled guilty to seditious conspiracy may be too much of a risk on cross-examination. Don't know if that's true, but there are smarter minds out there. And when it was all said and done, they don't probably need those three people. Glenn Kirshner, who is an NBC News legal analyst, who I like a lot. He's a no-nonsense guy, and he knows his shit. He said, you never want to be perceived as aligned with or excusing or unduly forgiving horrific crimes, and that's a risk you run when you put a cooperating witness on the stand, Kirshner said. Prosecutors also can't explicitly argue that because a witness pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy that the defendants are guilty of the same charge, which limits the value of their testimony. Well, that's true. You can't say that in court. However, that doesn't mean that the jury doesn't get that sense and makes that assumption on their own. Um, 
the way they ended their 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 case is the one that probably put the cherry on the top and put these fuckers in jail. There was some evidence introduced by prosecutors on Wednesday, and they wrote a message to Trump on January 2nd asking the then-president to invoke the Insurrection Act. And you can bet he was thinking about it. But I think his people around him made him think better of that because there would have been a lot of resignations if he tried to pull that shit, much like uh, there would have been a, a, a mutiny had he fired everybody at the DOJ and put his favorite guy in as the attorney general. He was talked off the ledge in both those situations. Now, Rhodes thought that message would be delivered to Donald Trump, and it never was for whatever reason. But the way they ended, <laughs> the way they ended their case was beautiful. They ended it with a recording, kind of a secret recording. He didn't know he was being recorded at the time. But um, Elmer Rhodes, also in a recording that same day, said the only thing they regretted about January 6th, they should have brought, brought what rifles. And then and then he'd hang fucking Pelosi from the lamppost. <laughs> Don't they always talk about intent? Well, if Elmer Rhodes said, the only thing I regret is not bringing or I should have brought rifles and that he'd fucking hang Pelosi from the lamppost. I think the intent is pretty well noted in this situations. Now, lawyers for the defendants will now present their case. They'll have the defense. Defense attorneys have suggested that members of the Oath Keepers assisted law enforcement on January 6th. But Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn testified for the prosecution. He testified that wasn't the case for the Oath Keepers he encountered outside the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office. 140 policemen were injured. We had a few that died the next day or indirectly afterwards. And you want us to believe that the Oath Keepers were just helping the police. No, motherfucker, the Oath Keepers were in the Capitol, shitting and pissing on the floors, breaking and stealing stuff, actively looking for Nancy Pelosi. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to buy that. I don't think that's going to be a thing that saves you. Now, these five guys will be convicted of seditious conspiracy. I don't know what kind of time they're going to get, but I think the maximum is like 20 years. And that's just for the account of seditious conspiracy. If there's obstruction and some other things in there, that would just add to it. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But it's not going to go well for them. That last line uttered by Elmer Stewart Rhodes the leader of the Oath Keepers, saying he was only sorry that they didn't bring rifles and that he was going to hang fucking Nancy Pelosi. That pretty much locks it down, locks down the fate of the Oath Keepers in this particular trial. All right, here's a guy we haven't talked about much, and hopefully we won't have to talk about him much after November 8th. I'm talking about Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat who's not a Democrat, the thorn in the side of the Biden administration, the, the, the villain of all good people in this country. Senator Joe Manchin on Thursday called for a broad bipartisan deal to protect the solvency of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, popular programs that face serious funding issues over the next few decades. Oh, great. Joe Manchin wants to help out with Medicare and Social Security. Yeah, not so fast. He went on to say, you're going to get your financial horse house in order. He's demanding this. You're going to get your financial house in order. We cannot live with this crippling debt. Manchin, whose pivotal both both delayed and helped pass a big piece of President Biden's agenda, told Fortune's Alan Murray at a CEO conference, if we don't look at the trust funds that are going bankrupt, 
whether they be Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Highway, all, all the ones. There are tremendous problems right now, Manchin said, when asked where he sees areas of potential compromise in Washington after the November 8th midterms. Well, Joe, it sounds like you're being a little presumptuous. It sounds like you're presuming the Republicans are going to win. Because if the Republicans don't win, there are no problems. And you're being a little presumptuous thinking that you're going to continue to have power. We get two more senators in the Senate. Now, you don't count for shit. And that should be one of our biggest goals right now. Get enough people into the Senate to essentially um, make Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema inconsequential. That should be our first and foremost goal, to get rid of those fucks. Because even though we have a 50-50 split, we have two senators working against us. They're not technically Republicans, but they certainly aren't acting like Democrats. Manchin goes on to say, if we can't come to grips of how we face the financial challenge that this country has, then we're all going to have to be paying a price we can't afford. Well, Joe, I got an idea how we can help subsidize all the problems we have in this country. How about your buddies, the rich guys, the ones that stuff money in your pocket? How about if we just make them pay taxes, a reasonable amount of taxes, a fair amount of taxes? Then we can fund all these things. But somehow you don't see that as an option, you piece of shit. Manchin, who sank Biden's ambitious $3 trillion Build Back Better agenda in December, has often talked about the financial challenges facing Social Security and Medicaid. Social Security Administration announced last year that it's not projected to have funds to pay full benefits past 2033. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I've been hearing this since I've been 18 years old. Social Security is going to run out. It's not going to run out. They will have to find ways to fund it. And they will find ways to fund it. Because the backlash from all the people that count on Social Security is going to be immense. And let me ask you this. Say you take away Social Security. Now you're taking billions of dollars out of the economy people that would normally buy things that help uh, propel this economy is now gone. How's that going to be for the fucking economy? And then you throw in the fact that you have all these people that are living off Social Security now broke. Guess what? The government's going to have to step in with welfare or whatever. It's going to cost you more in the long run. But they don't talk about that. They don't talk about forcing rich people and corporations to pay taxes. All those things would make it better for Social Security. But, but, that's not what they talk about. They see it as giving us money, and we'll just get lazy if you give us money. So we'll just give money to the rich people, and they'll trickle down, and they'll take care of you, which fucking, of course, has never happened. In February, Manchin proposed addressing that shortfall by increasing the amount of income subject to taxation to fund Social Security from $147,000 to $400,000. And Manchin pushed back hard against the Senate Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders' effort to expand Medicare to include vision, dental, and hearing benefits by arguing that the core program itself was in danger because of the soaring federal debt. He said, my big concern right now is the 2026 deadline for Medicare insolvency. And if no one's concerned about that, I've got people. That's a lifeline. Medicare and Social Security is a lifeline for people back in West Virginia. Most people around the country, Manchin told reporters in October of last year. Now, if Manchin continues to push for a bipartisan deal to shore up finances of Social Security and Medicare, he could have a negotiating partner in Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who proposed the broad entitlement reform of several previous occasion on several previous occasions. <clears throat> they're fucking around with Medicare and they're fucking around with Social Security. And they all seem to forget that each one of us has paid in every year that we worked 
to support Social Security. To call it an entitlement, as Mitch McConnell did, is a misnomer. It's not real. That is a fucking lie. If we pay for something, we should get something in return. We pay our taxes, we should get something in return, like goods or like services. But we don't get all the things we're entitled to with the taxes we pay. We can't help it if our government is misusing the funds they have. And when I say misusing, I'm talking about giving a $2 trillion uh, tax credit to the rich for no fucking reason, with no kind of return at all. You can talk about the entitlements, but let's talk about these free ride fucking tax credits you give the rich. You give tax credits to people who don't even need the tax credits. They should be made to pay their fair share in taxes. But people like Mitch McConnell and Joe Manchin, they don't see that. No, we can't tax those people. They're too important. Well, they're not important to us. They're important to you because they fill your pockets with money so that you keep Um, doing their bidding. Now, after Republicans captured the Senate majority in the 2014 midterm election, McConnell decried what he called the unstable growth rate of Social Security and Medicare and warned we need to adjust these popular programs or they won't be there for the next generation. Again, I heard this when I was 18 years old, when I was 28 years old, when I was 38 years old. It's always been the same thing. They always talk this gloom and doom, but somehow, somehow they figure it out. You ever notice with the government, when things look the darkest, somehow, some way, they come up with the money. And I'll tell you right now, if they do something negatively to Medicare and Social Security, that's going to cause a lot of problems, and not just with Democrats. <clears throat> A lot of these Republican red states have people on Social Security, and those people's lives will go in the shitter. And guess who's going to pay for that? The Republicans. Now, Manchin appeared Thursday before a room of CEOs via video link. He urged the audience to stop making political donations to members of Congress without getting solid commitments to improve the nation's governance in return. Manchin's talking like a guy who thinks he still has power, and maybe at this very moment he does have some power. But I guarantee you, after the midterms, the Senate's going to be a different situation. Joe Manchin will have no power. He'll be just a little quiet motherfucker representing a small state, West Virginia. He shouldn't have that power. What he has to say shouldn't matter. He should just be part of the group, and he can vote whatever fucking way he wants. Once the Democrats have a few more senators in the Senate, he won't fucking matter, and neither will Christian Cinema. Frankly, Christian Cinema is up for re-election in 2024. She won't be back. I guarantee you she won't be back. Manchin will probably be around for a while, so we need to make him inconsequential. And this midterm election is about ready to do that. So that's all good news, and we'll see what's happening. But don't let them scare you about this Social Security thing. It's too big an issue. It affects too many people. They can scream all this stuff, oh, we can't afford it, we can't do this, but they always find money to spend $750 billion with the Defense Department or $2 trillion in a tax credit to the rich. Nobody screams about, oh, we don't have any money, how are we going to pay it back? The money is there. It just has to be allocated properly. And as long as the Republicans are in a position to decide how to allocate that money, we are fucked. And this is why the Republicans have to be sent away. They have to be taught a lesson. Now, I don't know if they'll end the Republican Party, but once the midterms are done and they lose their share and they lose their power, they're going to have to step back and say, holy fuck, we fucked up. And they're going to have to restructure the Republican Party. They're going to have to change the whole culture of the Republican Party because what they're doing is fucking failing. They failed in 2020. They're going to fail in 2022. And because they'll fail in 2022, they won't have a Republican president in 2024. 
And if the Democrats do what they want to do and if they actually follow through and do what they're supposed to do, it's going to be a hard time for Republicans to get back in power for 10 years. And that should be our goal. And it all comes back down to the midterms. Get out and vote. I don't care if you're fucking busy. Your boss has to give you time to go out and vote. You must do it. You know, people will make excuses for not voting, but you can't do it in this situation. It's too important. With the gerrymandering and uh, voter suppression and all that stuff, we have to fight against that. And the only way we can fight against that is turnout, huge turnout, because it always benefits the Democrats when that happens, because there are more Democrats than there are Republicans, frankly. But we have to have the turnout, and if we have the turnout, then we will win. And I'm convinced that's going to happen. You can't piss off women by taking away a constitutional right. You can't piss off LGBTQAI um, group, and, and you can't piss them off and expect them to vote for you. People of color and the suppression of votes and the white supremacy and the racism and all that stuff, you can't do that and expect to get votes. I'll stand by what I said. I think the midterms are going to go well for the Democrats. And then once they go well from the Democrats, Kratz, uh, then we can sit back and say, what do we do now? And again, if we lose the House, I have to do the same thing. What do we do now? You can't quit fighting. you got to keep shoving it down their throat because ultimately they will all die off. As the millennials and the Gen Zs come to, uh, come to age, nobody's voting for <clears throat> these old white Republican men. They know they're on their way out, so they're scrambling and scraping and grabbing for every string to hold power. But they're losing it. They're losing power, and ultimately, it will be lost for good. They know it. I know it. You know it. It's just a matter of time. All right. We are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to listen. We will be back tomorrow. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.